Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. Masculine tops, power bottoms, butch girls, femme boys, bears, otters, unicorns. There's no shortage of labels that queer people use to describe different sexual identities and preferences. But how do we navigate that horny, thorny path between realizing we're queer and deciding which boxes to check when filling out our dating profiles? Fruit Bowl features first-person stories that explore the unique ways we develop our sexual identities by sharing the sometimes messy, always fascinating, real-life sex histories of queer people. Our first introduction to sex, the embarrassing moments we'd like to forget, and the reliable bedroom moves that we've discovered along the way. Basically, all the stuff we wish we'd known when we first came out. Interviews are edited for clarity and brevity because we all know how much we love to talk about ourselves. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. Welcome, bowlers. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? Is that a good start? It's a good start. I'd like to say welcome, fruit bowls. Okay, fruit bowls. Welcome, fruits. Okay, welcome, fruities. Anyway, um, Pete and I were just discussing how I should think of new ways to intro my episodes, so we'll workshop that. Um, Welcome to Fruit Bowl. This is my guest, Pete. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Pete is a theater... Designer. Designer. Dude around town. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I make a lot of theater. I design costume scenery for uh, plays, musicals, web series, independent films... Cool. Well, we're going to get to our lunchtime poll now, which is our opening segment. We do each episode now. This week's lunchtime poll question is, what is your favorite position? Oh, boy. What a loaded question. (laughs) You can have more than one, too. Uh, I have a lot of favorite positions because I like a lot of variety. I don't like to stay in any one place for a very long period of time. I like to mix it up. Um, but if I had to say a favorite position, it's anything in which I'm on the top. Okay. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm the active top in that situation. Right. It just means that I get to sort of set the pace a little bit and Mm -hmm. move around a little bit and do the things that I want to do and sort of take charge. (laughs) Right. Okay. Would you consider yourself a power bottom? That might be a term you could slap on my forehead. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, on top doesn't necessarily mean the top correct Mm -hmm. it works it it, it can you know in certain situations i can certainly play that role but in general i like to i like to have a lot of mobility and frankly when i get bored i like to be able to like hop off and throw myself down (laughs) that's a good that's a good game plan um now what now how am i going to answer the question um Yeah. yeah i mean i like to mix it up too don't don't have a real go-to that is my main sort of my my money maker. Right. Um, <laughs> but isn't there a position that always like gets you off more so yeah, than others? I would say doggy style. Right. With me behind my partner, fucking him. Right. Yeah. That's that's definitely the one that always works. Mostly because I can be as fast as or slow as I want to be. You're very much in control in that position, yeah. And and also I can kind of listen to my partner's reactions and and adjust accordingly. And you um, don't have to look them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually for me the only uh, 
drawback to doggy style. I understand. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny joke, though. Um, I would say that one of my favorite things is is looking at my partner's face, my making sure they're enjoying themselves. Um, I certainly doggy style is a is a good way to. You have to check in more, I right. think, to make sure things are okay and and going i mean definitely they can respond with with sounds and and dif- different reactions that make you m- make sure that they're having a good time um but the ideal situation for me would be doggy style in a room with a mirror right <laughs> i totally know what you're saying because there have been in positions where i've been on all fours and someone behind me is going to town and i do sort of feel like i get lost in that equation how i'm thinking feeling reacting yeah um because that person is just in their own little world and not really paying attention to me um and so i generally like to do a lot of like turn my head and reach around you know glance kind of thing <laughs> being like hey you know what i'm still here right yeah i still got some needs here i'm more than just a vessel for you <laughs> that is funny you'd say that because sometimes when I'm fucking a guy and he's on top of me, kind of what you were describing, like sometimes I feel like I'm being used like a human dildo and, yeah. and the power bottom is sort of grinding and not really taking me into consideration. Hey, Dave, guess what? That's how bottoms feel all <laughs> the time. You're probably right. <laughs> it's healthy for you to have the roles reversed a little bit. Get a little dose of your own medicine. That's true. Um, but I guess um, I don't I don't mind that. I I don't get as much pleasure out of it though. So it's it's mostly to sort of for the for the bottom's enjoyment, which I love. You should get pleasure out of pleasuring your bottom. Yes, yeah. I definitely do do that. Um but but being behind my partner is definitely a situation where yeah, I can I have more of control over the the whole situation i think that's what we're discovering is we both are saying our favorite position is something in which we can be in control yeah i think that's interesting yeah i do too i think a lot of times people assume that by being the bottom you're giving up control and i Mm -hmm. don't think that that's true and I, i also don't think that's very fun (laughs) <laughs> it's not very fun. I mean, those are just, you know, a very specific kind of porn film where the person is blindfolded in their head under a pillow. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily turn me on. Right. I mean, it's definitely something people enjoy is being completely submissive and not right. having any say. But sure. Um, yeah. Not my thing. Um Cool. Well, now I feel like I know so much more about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be, be be sure not to like stand in front of you and turn around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch out. Um, okay, well, we're going to listen to Ryan's interview now. And when we come back, we'll talk about it. Let's do it. I'm excited. Here we go. My name is Ryan. I'm 29 years old. And I grew up over on Bainbridge Island. My mom is obsessed with Dolly Parton. And so we watched the best little whorehouse in Texas all the time. And I knew like down to the minute I could hear it from my bedroom when she was watching it, when the uh, football player song was going to come on in the locker room. And every single time, like 30 seconds before it started, I was like, I can't sleep. Can I just watch the movie with you? Just to just to get the glimpse of that shot, like that was that's definitely like my that was my go-to. So I thank my mom for that. 
Apparently they're going to put that on Broadway and hopefully, I don't know where they're going to put their mic packs, but <laughs> I hope that, that that scene's in there. The first time I ever learned about sex was with my older brother. Or not with my older brother, but when he showed me porn on the internet. Um, yeah. When I was like six, I think it was right when like the internet was a thing. Um, barely a thing. Like I didn't even really understand it, but my brother already knew how to look up porn for some reason. And he showed it to me. I remember specifically asking if we could look at guys and him looking at me really weird. And I was like, oh, I'm just kidding. When I was probably actually getting older and I figured out how to search for stuff online. And it was kind of exploring like, what did I want to look at? And I had all these like preconceived notions like from my brother where it was like, oh, lesbians are hot. Like you got to check them out. So I actually like Googled that a lot and like played this like weird like mental game where I was convincing myself that's turned me on. Um, but then of course, like then I would like go on to, um, what is it called? Like the Napster Kazam or something like that. And that's where I like downloaded all my videos. And that's when I would like just look up the weirdest stuff. Even when I was like 12, just looking up like just typing in gay porn or whatever. And then like realizing or learning like what like a bear was when I was like 13 and like starting Googling like gay bears and all that kind of stuff. So um, definitely the internet was the biggest thing for me to figure out like what the like kink was. I think honestly, the first time I ever saw like a fisting video or something like something as I'm again I'm gonna like say it's basic <laughs> now but like back then obviously that's like the first time you've seen it, it's like what like people do this um seeing that when you're like 12 years old really was like oh my god like sex can actually be like anything I feel so desensitized now in my life that it's like nothing shocking <laughs> so I'm trying to go back to my 12 year old self I came out late-ish, I was 21, so it was when I was 21, 22 maybe, eight years ago, but in comparison to other people who come out way earlier, then I feel like that's not very long ago. So my first time was with, with a guy, um, and I met him on OkCupid, but I was still in college at the time. I was like two hours outside of Seattle, and he lived down in Sacramento, but he was like coming up to interview at schools or something. and. So I was in a play rehearsal, and so we finished at 10 o'clock at night, and I drove over the mountain pass to come to Seattle to, it was a Best Western on Denny, which is now, I think, like the Loyalty Inn or something. And I drove there, met him at like midnight, and um, I had Burger King before, which probably not was the best idea, but then, yeah, we both our first time, um, we talked for like months before and just tried to do it and um, super awkward. First time he came too soon. <laughs> then kind of did it the second time. I don't think we actually ever did it, did it. We tried it and I think that we did penetrate, but I don't know if it penetrated enough to consider sex. It's definitely in there, but I don't know. Um, I actually did fly down there a little bit later to like San Francisco and tried to do it again. Didn't really happen again, kind of the same situation. But then after that, it was just like the 
whole mix of like both of us coming out too soon, not knowing what we wanted, too scared to come out, all that kind of stuff. Well, I was already out, but he wasn't. Um, so then after that, it was just kind of like kaput, which was fine. Like we're still friends on Facebook, which is really funny. I don't, we haven't talked in a while, but I, we were both doing like the passive, like liking each other's updates on social media. Um, and it's really cool to see like now that we're both in good places. Cause I think we were, we were both the people who were actually exploring this and finally figuring out like who we were. So it's kind of cool to keep in touch with that person. <laughs> Um, the most embarrassing thing is it, I was kind of struggling with this one because most of it is like, I feel like everyone's done it or they're lying. Like, I don't know, like we've pooped on a dick. <laughs> I, one time I threw up in a guy's yard before and he didn't see it. And then I came back in and then we did it. <laughs> <laughs> one time I was high and I got distracted and started singing a Disney song in my head. And I actually started just humming it out loud and I didn't realize it. So that was fun. Um, <laughs> I think it was like the Belle Reprise from Beauty and the Beast, which is like super random, but I always have that song stuck in my head. So yeah, I started humming that when I was like writing a guy. <laughs> One time I threw up in a guy's bed. It was a first date and it turned into basically a bar crawl starting at the bottom of Capitol Hill, like at like my Montana, and working our way like all the way up where I think we ended up at the old purr. And by the time we got to that purr, I was, I remember like getting a drink and then that was pretty close to it. And then we kept going up the hill because it was actually close to where I used to live on Capitol Hill. Yeah, so we ended up back at his place. It was just like the like standard like got really drunk throughout the night and then we just started like making out. I don't know if we actually like were really actually into each other or it was just the alcohol. Um, and I ended up at his place, messed around. We both fell asleep while we were messing around. I woke up, didn't know where I was, threw up, and then I realized that I was not in my apartment. Felt this body get up, go grab something, he cleaned it up. And then that's when I actually started like coming to like waking up and like feeling sober because I just puked my guts out all over his bedroom floor. He cleaned it up really fast. I was actually really impressed. He cleaned it up in like, I think like 10 minutes. I was grateful for it because I wanted to go back to sleep. But he came back and like had like a new comforter on and he like held me. He's like, you're really everything I'm looking for. And I was like, <laughs> this is when I'm like at sober at the time, like mortified, just puked on some guy's bed, probably on him too. And then he's telling me that I'm everything he's looking for. Um, but I think that that was alcohol talking for him because then he told me the next day that he was not interested. I like to think that the singing one was like endearing. So I think it's a cute story. So I don't think they do, but I do. Uh, I think the puking one is just embarrassing. Not the one where like he didn't see because I was able to hide that, but the one where like I puked in his bed and he cleaned it up. Mm -hmm. um, I think that one's just a little embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that my best move is, um, I'm always surprised when people do this, but it's happened more often than not, where people are like, oh my God, you're a really good kisser. So there's something that I do when I kiss, I don't know what it is, but apparently I'm a really good kisser. Um, so I'm kind of proud of that, just whenever I get that reaction, because I don't expect it. 
this one also get this one gets me into trouble, but I am a really good bed talker. So it's not even like before or during, but afterwards, like I will like get up on you and cuddle the shit out of you because that's what I like. And I don't know what it is, but I feel like I get into people's minds so fast that then they're like, oh my God, this was actually really amazing. And they're like, I want to date you. But I'm like, oh my God, I just wanted to hook up. But like, I love that kind of stuff. Like I actually like the like bed talk and the cuddling. I just don't like the like consequences afterwards. <laughs> so then I'm just like, okay, bye, I'm done. I want breakfast. Generally, I'm a pretty open book. Like if people ask me how I'm doing, I say like actually truly how I'm doing. Um, or like, even if like, I know a stranger, like I'm really open about my life, just like how I grew up, what my family dynamics, like everything. And so somehow it organically like gets into that where it's like, I'll start opening up. And like, I think to them, it seems like such a big deal that I'm telling them like these really like, not like dark seekers, but just like these really like personal things, which to me is just like, I don't know, it's just conversation. Like it's just a nice conversation. So then that makes them feel really comfortable to open up. So I feel like they just get really like vulnerable about their personal life and feel like that they can like tell me things which is cool, like, I like that, like, but I think from my end, I'm like, well, that was really great, like, I like having a good conversation, but to them, they're like, oh, he can open up and listen, I want to, like, date him, I'm like, mm. The things that I would, like, usually say, um, I think conversations go a lot, it's just, like, how people, it always kind of goes with, like, oh, how did you know when you were gay, and then, like, you go into, like, what was your fi family dynamic? And then it's always like, oh, I was the youngest. My parents were older. I'm close to my parents. But then, I'm, but then, like, talking about that, one of the biggest things was that both of my parents are, like, super sick. And so I'm super open about that because it's been the 21 years of my life where I've been dealing with it. So it's really just, like, kind of just this is what it is. But to people who aren't used to that, I think they see it as really, like, I think that's where they really see like the vulnerable piece because they feel like I'm like really opening up. But to me, it's just like, this is not to like make it seem like it's not like a big deal because it is a big deal. I mean, they're sick, but to me, it's like, this is an everyday thing in my life. Like this is like, I will have a cup of coffee and then think about my sick parents. Like I'm so used to it. So when I bring it up to me, it's not a big deal, but to other people, I think it might be a big deal to them. I like sex. <laughs> I just like the full experience, the leading up to it. I think the leading up to it might be the best part, honestly. Not even the foreplay, but just, it's like both in your minds and you're not even like kissing yet. But I mean, we're all, come on, we're humans. We're thinking about sex. So even like that is exciting. Just thinking about the possibility of like, oh, I could totally have sex with this person to the point where then like, yeah, like then foreplay, you're doing it, putting it in each other. Um, but then like, I love, at the very end, it's like, there's this like high or like relief when you're just laying by each other. It's like all of that build up, you finally did it. And it's the most like rewarding feeling, <laughs> I guess. When I first started having sex, I just kept it really vanilla and not the most exciting. And I think it's only been the last few years where I'm just like, you know, like, I think 
you're not gonna know your limitations until you start testing them. So I think I would tell 21 year old Ryan when he's coming out, just like go for it as long as you're like being safe about it and you're thinking about it and making sure that you feel comfortable. Um, although that kind of goes against my point because I should feel a little uncomfortable to try it. Like I would just say, just feel free to explore a little more and don't feel like scared or guilty or think that it's wrong to try stuff out, I guess. And we're back here with Pete, who's just listened to Ryan's interview. What did you think? It was fascinating. It was hysterical. Uh, there were a lot of moments where I completely identified and had had similar experiences. Um, and then there's a lot of differences, I think, between Ryan and I, which I think are, is also fascinating. You mentioned that his his internet search story rang a few bells for you. It is. I mean, I he talked about, you know, going through and, and searching for weird, you know, fetish things and how now in his life all that stuff just seems n uninteresting or, you know, regular to him. Um, and I kind of feel that way myself right now in terms of porn. If I'm searching for things, I find myself looking for the weirdest, oddest, most interesting things just because I am sort of bored with like the traditional fetish stuff that you see. Yeah. Um, you know, and that could be everything from, you know, men in striped colored underwear, you know, going down that rabbit hole or, <laughs> you know, really, really very specific kind of unsexy things. Um, but it's fascinating how I need something completely new and different that I haven't seen before to actually keep me interested these days. Well, that's interesting because I feel like I'm the opposite, hmm. which is that when I'm going online to look at porn, I'm usually... Well, actually, I use PornMD. Have you ever heard that? I have not checked it out, no. <laughs> it's this porn aggregator oh. that searches for themes for you and, and pulls from a variety of different porn sites. Okay. And they have a little dice icon where you can literally just punch it and it'll bring up commonly searched for terms. But randomly. Randomly for you. Hmm. And I'll, I'll often do that just out of curiosity to see what different uh, kinds of themes they come up with. And some of them work. Others are completely random. Um, <clears throat> but then, like, if I don't find anything within the first five minutes or so i'll go to some bookmarks that i have that are just my 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 go-to's <laughs> right i like that idea of sort of random searching um if i stumble upon something that i'm i've never seen or experienced before and i watch that then i like to then go down the rabbit hole of you know recommended videos similar to this <laughs> yes you know where you see other related stuff and I find myself, like, wasting an entire hour watching some of these things, not actually turned on at all by any of it. It's purely my brain has been engaged at that point, and I'm just utterly fascinated by the weird things that people do. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and is it all sexual, or do you ever go down a rabbit hole that is so random that it can just be, like, an image search of... Like you mentioned, guys in their underwear, striped underwear. Right. Um. So I mean, it's sexual. It's in this in that it has to do with sexuality, but it's not necessarily fucking always. Yeah. Yeah. It could just be pictures of guys in striped underwear. It could be. The other day, I stumbled upon some, you know, 
third rate, you know, just for fans, you know, star doing a review of a cock ring. And then that led to all of these third-rate just-for-fan guys who were doing, who were rating sex toys. And they're literally just st- sitting there in their clothes, holding up the sex toy, describing how they used it. And I don't know. I kind of, like, tripped out on that for quite a long time. <laughs> it- did you learn anything new? Did they have any new recommendations? They they really honestly didn't. I was like, you know, it felt like, you know, you know, sex toy 101 for people who've never used a cock ring before. I'm like, I know how to put it on, babe. Thanks for the tutorial. Uh, I'm trying to remember what my early internet searches were as compared to now. Because I feel like anyone who's just coming out, if they search, they're probably not going to know what to look for. Like Ryan was suggesting. Right. Like... He, it was only until after he started searching that he started to develop his tastes and know what he liked and what he didn't like. Right. You have to have a little bit of experience to even know where to start, mm-hmm. right? Well, he had his brother to help him. <laughs> I mean, that's a search topic right there. <laughs> <laughs> they were not having sex. Okay. And his brother was helping him find straight porn. The first porn I saw was straight porn, and it was one in which it was very extreme close-ups of, you know, a penis going in a vagina. Yeah. And even to this day, I just find that really boring. Like, you could look at that for a minute or two, and then, you know, six minutes of, like, an extreme close-up of that just Mm -hmm. is not interesting. It's so boring. I'm equally unfulfilled by the the under-the-ass shot of the dick going into the butt. It's like, yeah... I'm getting nothing here. Right. I I guess... There's no context of, like, the person, the feeling that the person is having at the moment, their facial expression, their body contractions, all those things that, you know, collectively make for something really erotic isn't there when you're just seeing repetitive motion over and over and over. It's just bad filmmaking. Mm. And editing. Editing. I was watching a porn the other night where (laughs) literally it was, like, a side shot of two people fucking... And there was a water bottle that was exactly (laughs) placed so that you couldn't see the bottom's expression as he was getting fucked. And I was like, so wanted to like reach out and move the water bottle. (laughs) It was right where his face was, you know? So I was like, I couldn't see how much he was enjoying himself. And I was like, such a drag. That is, that is awful. (laughs) Bad set dressing. Mm -hmm. That's something you know about. I do know a little bit about that. (laughs) One thing... Ryan talks a lot about his embarrassing moments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's worth acknowledging that a lot of gay men likely use alcohol as a means of reducing anxiety. Yes. And that being gay and being out at a gay bar is anxiety producing. Oh my gosh, yes. Gay bars are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many different variables. Not to mention the fact that you're in a public space, but you're likely around people or behaving in a way that was once a very private act on your part. Like, you're you're basically coming out each time you enter a gay bar, mm. you know? Interesting. That, if I had to kind of psychoanalyze the what might be going through all of our subconscious is that th- there takes a certain amount of bravery to walk into a gay bar. Um, yeah. Although for some people it's, it's a place of, of protection and they feel safe. So there's so many different 
scenarios. Yeah, and Dave, I would feel like, especially for younger generations, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Um, it's, um, but at the same token, they feel more comfortable being themselves in whatever bar they walk into. Right. You know, they don't necessarily need that gay bar to feel safe. Mm-hmm. They can be their true selves in any old bar down the street. Do you think that younger people don't value gay bars as much? For that reason? I do. Um, I, f- I feel like uh, the gay bar as we, is like, you know, men in their 40s and 50s have understood it, um, is a different beast than what it is right now. Yeah. Uh, in general, the gay bars that I go to are way more open in terms of people of different kinds of sexualities these days. Mm-hmm. Very rarely am I in a bar where it's just gay men or just lesbian women. Um, it's a lot more diverse. Yeah, maybe it kind of has to be now. Has to be more appealing to a wider audience because the the days of an extremely mm. specialized gay bar where there's only one kind of clientele may not survive anymore. No, I mean if you look at the plight of Eagles across America, which had a very specific sort of leather niche. Yeah, um, leather is so um, mainstreamed now. It's not a fetish. It's actually just regular gay you know attire yeah that you know a bar that's uh, specifically about that isn't necessary i love that this has turned into a discuss- <laughs> discussion about gay bars because it's like it, it is an important meeting place yeah it's it's a kind of a community center almost is it though nowadays yeah i disagree because uh, i walk into gay bars with you know a couple friends of mine and i look around and i see other you know gay men in their group of friends and frankly they're all checking their phones and checking their you know grinder messages instead of going across the, the you know the room and talking to that dude who's been checking them out the whole time in real life yeah. So it's. N- I don't think it is about building community. I think people go there to maintain their individual isolation just around other people. Yeah, I can. I can understand that. I still have unique conversations with people that I don't know, but usually it's a result of meeting somebody through a mutual friend. Yeah. You know, that's the means that I have of of trying to break out of my own personal circle and try to extend it to other people. That's, that's true. That still happens. But I, I get what you're saying. And certainly apps and, and the phones have, have served as another means of um, distraction. But also, I think that they're often a go-to for people who, again, have anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, that they, they're in a place maybe where they don't know anyone or they don't feel like they should be there. So they kind of retreat into their phone and find some kind of solace that way. Um, yeah, and you can have more confidence when you can carefully craft a message as opposed to having to speak extemporaneously. Right. I love meeting people and having random conversations, though. <laughs> I do miss the old school days of, of gay bars in that sense. Yeah, I don't feel like gay bars are cruising spots anymore. No. When were they for your life? When when did they serve that function? In my twenties, definitely. Yeah. I you know was I lived in a small town for a bunch of those years, um, in which there was one gay up bar option. Can you it, say what it was? Um, it was the Common Ground was the name of the bar in Ithaca, New York. <laughs> um, I don't think it exists anymore. Um, and uh, so yeah, I definitely went there to you know meet other college students and whoever was coming in and out of town. 
Um, but by the time I moved to Seattle in my early 30s, um, I think gay bars ceased to sort of act that way for me or mm-hmm. fulfill that need for me. Yeah. I'd say the last time in my life where gay bars were that was definitely pre-internet age. Mm-hmm. When I was in my early mid-20s after undergrad, I moved to New York City and it was uh, I lived in the Lower East Side and it was the Crow Bar, oh. which was adjacent to Tompkins Square Park and... I met so many people there. I had so many hookups. <laughs> Fun hookups. Yeah. Um, met a boyfriend there. I still remember the song we danced to when we first met. Oh. You know, it's like totally I could see I could still see the inside of the bar. It was that had that much meaning for me at that point in my life where I was like, okay, I can go here and I can most likely meet somebody that I'll get along with. There was a certain amount of uh, weeding out that happens at certain gay bars when oh, you, yeah. you find your crew, your 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 vibe, and you go there assuming you'll find a certain type of person. <laughs> right. Yeah. When I do go to gay bars, I go there with the intent and the hope of running into people that I know and being able to enjoy the evening just catching up and having conversations with like-minded friends. Yeah. Which one do you like to go to here in Seattle? Uh, Pony is probably my go-to bar. It's just kind of where my people are at. Pony's a really special place. It is. I think I feel like it still maintains a kind of a throwback. It re- actually reminds me a lot of the Crowbar hmm. in the sense that it's not at all designed in a logical way it has a lot of random decor that has clearly been built up over time right they have these weird penis uh paper paper mache on the ceiling that's been there the other day somebody pointed out um a bet midler album that's outside oh yeah that's completely faded it's it's barely legible now from the sun and rain exposure (laughs) the person i was talking to had been the one who placed it there (gasps) Wow. Yeah. How long ago? I think it was like a decade ago or something. (laughs) And it's literally been sitting there (laughs) the whole time. But yeah, if you ever get a chance to visit Seattle, definitely go to Pony. I feel like it's of all the gay bars in Seattle. And there are a lot compared to other cities. There's a pretty good concentration of gay bars here. I feel like Pony is the one that definitely is, is worth checking out. Just because of its how unique it is, I agree, and how specific it is to Seattle. Like you couldn't go anywhere else and find a pony. And the people who who attend as patrons, I mean, it definitely is. It, it, everyone is well. Everyone is welcome. It, it attracts a more alternative, edgy, uh, gender queer kind of uh, clientele. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about something that Ryan mentioned about vulnerability and connection. When and how do you show your vulnerability in a hookup versus a relationship versus a dating situation? Mm -hmm. And because that's a scary step to take to allow oneself to be vulnerable. And there's some risk with that in terms of revealing some information to somebody that in a week or three weeks, you may not ever want to talk to again. <laughs> right. And suddenly they know these intimate things about you. And what does that feel like? Right. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. This is a great topic. And I think one that Ryan articulates really well. Um, it's been a while since I've been dating. But when I was more actively searching like for a boyfriend, um, I 
think I would have some hesitancy disclosing certain things about my past. Um, and it would most likely take about a month for me Mm -hmm. of seeing somebody before I thought maybe I could sort of trust them. But even then, I think I would still be holding back. This is interesting we're bringing this up because as I've been doing this project, I've tried to start to make myself more vulnerable and disclose things that I've been hesitant to disclose in the past. But because I'm doing this project, I want to be authentic. The example I can give is uh, that I used to be very hesitant to disclose that I used to cruise when I was young, like in public parks um, in high school. Oh, wow. Um, Which, now that I've started talking about it more, I'm a a lot less insecure about it, but I really felt, well, I was judging myself for having done that in my past and what it said about me. Yeah, I I was assuming that people would make assumptions of me if they knew that and, and that it wouldn't be good. So that's something that maybe I'm... I would disclose to make myself more vulnerable. You know, Ryan talked about his parents and sort of health situations that they're in, which is my story as well in terms of especially my mother, who was very ill for most of my young young life. Um, And, you know, while he sounds um, really okay with that situation, it's still a very tender trigger point for me to talk about that kind of stuff. And it's hard to do without getting emotional yeah. and, you know, really just letting my guard down and crying and, you know, saying the things that make one look like an idiot. And I'm really nervous to broach that subject with Mm -hmm. anyone unless I feel like, you know, we're many dates in, it's time to, you know, I feel like they've got my back, they understand me a little bit. It's, it's okay for me to show that side of myself. Yeah. Um, and wh- I find that when I do, it's always more, you know, uh, uh, beneficial and it feels better to get that, lo- you know, load off my back, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still a scary notion to allow oneself to be vulnerable, yeah. especially young in young relationships, right? Yeah. Things that aren't really established. Totally. And also, I think you're afraid of scaring the person off. Like, I don't want to, like tip off you know to this person just how crazy i am because they're gonna just like turn away and go running you know like why would they you know be interested in my crazy but i think the thing that we forget is like is they're just as crazy as we are in different ways but honestly crazy so you know if we're all crazy we all just have to embrace and love each other's craze yeah we definitely have to be compassionate with each other and know that we we all have things that we're hesitant to disclose and we think might make other people judge us. Is there something, though, that you go to when there's an intimate situation and and you want to create a sense of intimacy in a quick way? In terms of, like, what's my go-to technique, one say, for, well, for, de- for developing intimacy? I, yeah, that's an interesting question. It's kind of a cynical question. Because <laughs> um, it sort of acknowledges that there's a performative aspect to hooking up right that maybe a lot of us don't want to admit to it that's true and i I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there if i really want to develop someone's confidence or you know share a a sense of myself it all i have to do is be honest right because i feel like so many people aren't yes 
they don't talk about how that just felt, how mm. they feel about what's going to happen next, or I, I find, or what they did for that day. Mm. Um, I feel like if I just share what yeah. I really think and feel, like that's the best trick. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people assume that showing vulnerability, especially during sex, is a sign of weakness. Right. Especially when you have men with men, yeah. in which masculinity is so valued. Mm-hmm. I do not value masculinity. I More and more and more, when I run into people who are exerting or exuding sort of very masculine traits, it's a turnoff. Yeah. I Do you think we're atypical? Uh, maybe we are. I think as a culture right now... I think we as a culture are looking at what it means to be masculine and what it has meant and how that isn't serving us. Yeah. Toxic. Yes. I have always disliked extreme butchness and even before this most recent sort of Me Too and, and identifying toxic masculinity, I, I just feel like so much of it is performative yeah. and it's not at all authentic and it's like a learned performance that people do mm -hmm. and it just seems so unnecessary to me mm -hmm. also i think the flip side is that i really admire queenie guys okay because i think they're brave it takes more courage to be out in the world you know as an effeminate personality quote unquote yeah rather than hiding behind the tropes of you know heterosexual masculinity yeah i see that i just think it takes balls to be a queen Hell and yeah. to like embrace your your queeniness and i also think it's sexy like mm -hmm. that if somebody's in tune with their femininity i think that takes a lot of self-awareness and and courage you know go fems yeah yeah <laughs> the moral of that story is be your authentic self whatever it is yeah and that's gonna get you much further than trying to play any sort of role mm -hmm. that's a good way to wrap it up <laughs> it's a wrap ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Well, thank you for hosting today. Thanks, Dave. This was a lot of fun. And thanks to Ryan for sharing his personal story. I, I think that was really interesting for me to hear, and I'm grateful for his words. Yes, thank you, Ryan. All right, well, that's it for this episode of Fruit Bowl, and join us next time, and thanks for listening. Bye! <laughs> If you've enjoyed this episode of Fruit Bowl, please give us a rating and review it and tell your friends about us. To learn more about Fruit Bowl, visit our website, fruitbowlpodcast.com, where you can listen to archived episodes and learn more about the project. If you're interested in being interviewed, you can also read a list of frequently asked questions, as well as a list of the questions that I ask in the interview. There's also a contact page where you can write me and ask me any questions you might have about the process. Thanks for listening. Production of Fruit Bowl is supported in part by Hump Film Fest, bringing audiences a new kind of porn since 2005. Hump's carefully curated short film program is a cornucopia of body types, ages, shapes, colors, sexualities, genders, kinks, and fetishes, all united by a shared spirit of sex positivity. Hump is a celebration of creative sexual expression, and you'll be touched by the sincerity and vulnerability in which these films are lovingly made. The 14th annual Hump Film Festival is now touring to over 50 cities across the U.S. and Canada in 2019. Get your tickets for Hump in a city near you at humpfilmfest.com.